0: Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts with a look at California agricultural news. Early U.S. pistachio exports currently shine amidst warnings of a global oversupply of demand cannot keep pace with projected supply growth, Growers and industry leaders attending the upcoming American Pistachio Growers Meeting in Monterey can expect updates dissecting the reports on early season shipments. David Magna, senior analyst with Raba Research Food and Agribusiness, called the export numbers from the first four months of the marketing year a good indication that the industry is doing a good job marketing its record crop. Magna pointed to a combination of the smaller U.S. ending stocks and a doubling of Chinese pistachio purchases year over year as good news for the U.S. industry. Chinese exports for the first four months of the new marketing year exceeded 200 million pounds after recording just 79 million pounds in sales the same time last year. Also positive news from China was the attraction of U.S. pistachios during a Chinese New Year celebration. While Chinese consumers still like fresh cherries coming out of South America during the annual celebration, those fresh cherries come at a premium price. He said that U.S. pistachios are more of a staple for Chinese consumers during his celebration. The U.S. pistachios carry a known higher quality and improved safety standard when compared to foreign sources of pistachios. Export growth to Germany and Spain over the same period was also up. Magna said exports to Germany were up more than threefold to 35 million pounds, with Spanish exports up from 7 million to 13 million pounds. According to Marcon Cooperative, iceberg markets are up following reduced yields in the Arizona and California desert regions. Greenleaf and Romaine prices are inching higher as well. MFC, Greenleaf, Iceberg, and Romaine are limited. Marcon Best Available is being substituted as needed due to industry-wide low weights and diminished quality. Alternating weeks of warm and cold weather, as well as rain and hail, have reduced supplies. Production crews are working slowly through poor field conditions, which has decreased overall yields and pushed markets higher. Elevated levels of bottom rot, dirt, mud, epidermal, blistering, peeling with discoloration, mildew damage, pinking, and mechanical damage are all affecting finished pack yields. Warmer weather is forecast here soon, but additional adverse weather will hit the region later this month. Prices for all three lettuces will continue rising over the next few days. Zembo herbicide from Nichino America Incorporated has been approved for use on rice for weed control by the California Department of Pesticide Regulation. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency granted an unconditional Section 3 label for this product on August 24th of 2023. Developed by Kuyuyu agri Company LTD, Zembo is specific to the California rice market, representing significant advancement in weed control technology, according to the company, which is revolutionizing for rice farming practices and paving a Way for enhanced productivity. Through this partnership with Cayuyo Agra, Nichino America Incorporated was granted the rights to market and sell Zembu in the United States. Zimbu fits perfectly as a foundation herbicide when used in a program approach for season long weed control, according to the company. This unique mode of action chemistry targets a broad spectrum of troublesome weeds, including broadleaf weeds, sedges, and grasses. Zimbu provides lasting control with a single application on the day of seeding or prior to seeding and offers an excellent option for weed resistance management on rice. Once again, that according to Nichino. A recent report from the Food and Drug Administration has found that a sheep farm was likely a contributing factor in the contamination of onions. The finding came when investigators searched for the cause of a 2020 outbreak of salmonella Newport foodborne infections associated with red onions from the southern San Joaquin Valley and Imperial Valley in California. The outbreak, which caused 1,127 reported domestic illnesses and 515 reported Canadian cases, is the largest salmonella outbreak in over a decade, according to the research report. This outbreak is also remarkable because a food vehicle, whole red onions, is a raw agricultural commodity that had not been previously associated with foodborne illness outbreak. The investigation did not occur while packing activities were ongoing. However, visual observations and records review of packing house practices confirmed numerous opportunities for the spread of foodborne pathogens such as salmonella, including signs of animal and pest intrusion, as well as food contact surfaces that had not been inspected, maintained, cleaned, or sanitized as frequently as necessary to protect against the contamination of produce, according to the FDA's report. Thompson International Incorporated, the producer of the onions, cooperated with the FDA throughout the investigation and is continuing to engage with the FDA on the agency's findings and recommendations. The second annual National Sunkiss Citrus Day is coming up this Friday, March 1st. It is the longest standing fresh citrus cooperative is celebrating every bite with a culinary challenge and multi-variety display contest. This winter, Sunkiss Growers is not just bringing a sunshine to consumers as tables. It's making California-grown citrus a star through a game show-inspired digital series called Sunkist Matchmakers. With consumers looking to get creative and elevate their at-home meals, Sunkist is also revamping its website with a custom landing page that is both informative and interactive. Explore the matchmaker feature where shoppers compare a sunkiss varietal with a surprise ingredient, sparking real-time recipe ideas. Will have citrus fans rushing to their kitchens, according to the company. Cassie Howard, senior director of category management and marketing at Sunkiss Growers Incorporated, says that they want to shift the perception of citrus as a one-dimensional ingredient and showcase citrus's ability to complement and transform a wide range of meals and occasions throughout significant shopper milestones. Sunkiss NC These Citrus offerings during the winter months extend to both conventional and non-organic navels, caras, bloods, lemons, and tangelos. The 76th Annual International Orchid Show will return to the Earl Warren Showgrounds in Santa Barbara, March 8th through the 10th. Organizers are inviting nature lovers to enjoy a day surrounded by orchids and consider a tax-deductible donation to support the show and solidify its future. The theme this year is Orchids, Gems of Nature.
1: The Almond Board of California recently announced its 2024 Almond Leadership Program class comprised of 18 exceptional candidates. They come from diverse backgrounds across the full range of the industry and include growers and processors, sales representatives, sustainability specialists, company executives, pest control advisors, and more. One of these is Andy Barahate, a process engineer with Central California Almond Growers Association. He shared his journey through the almond
2: industry up to now. My work started as an intern in one of the almond hullers in Sheller, up in Sacramento Valley. It was uh, Henderson Hulling & Shelling. Uh, I was contracted with uh, Cortina Hulling and & Shelling, and they deployed me to the uh, one of their PLC-run plant. And it was one of an experience, because running the plant and actually working on the PLCs that was driving the plant, it was just um, from textbook to actual hands-on practical. So it just tied together and it just propelled me to learn more how better we can do the job that I was doing and uh, understand well. They recommended me over here at CCAGA. So um, in turn, it actually just propelled me to learn more and grow more in the industry um, from one um, PLC run plant to the three big shellers that CCAGA has, which... With K3 being the biggest heller and sheller of all, um, it was just scaled up operation that I had to learn into. And it was quite interesting because there are multiple moving parts in an operations facility that from looking from far away, we cannot understand, but once you dive into it and are actually involved in um, making changes and being the engineer, I always had this experimental uh, approach to all the processes here and I just build upon that. So it's just an ongoing journey and I'm still learning every day something new. And that's what the industry is about, innovating and learning each and every day. Because the culture change begs for you learn and you grow and you bring something new to the table, be innovative with it. And uh, if it works, it works great. But then again, you learn, there's an opportunity if it doesn't work. So you build upon better every time. So you come stronger every time, even if it uh, pushes you a step back. That's my approach so far.
1: Berahe was inspired to join the leadership program based on Almond Board's variety of industry research as well as the variety of candidates that will be participating.
2: This leadership program, it has uh, a dedicated task list that we have to go through, which is uh, not just being um, one personnel of technology, but also learning multifaceted uh, industry that we have, say, finances, logistics, and everything, there are uh, my classmates that are in the uh, leadership, they are actually working in different job profiles, which is not as mine, I'm a tech guy, and they are into finances, or HR, or similar basis, so I can learn from them too, while I'm in this program, and the task list that is given, it actually provokes us to go beyond, and you know, find innovative solutions that the industry can use. Like the project that I was working on, it'll be also um, be more enhanced and presented forward. So that it helps the industry only. That's the goal for that one very program. And that was my motivation, honestly. If you are not learning, then you better think what's going on.
1: Barahate hopes to take what he'll learn in the leadership program and apply it right back to the industry.
2: In technology, if any innovations can be needed, or what are the challenges that the industry is facing? If I can give my nugget to that challenge and make it a whole, because it is a group effort. There's no doubt about it. But if I can provide what I have been carrying so far with technology and then learning some with uh, with the co- uh, classmates that I have, if I can provide that, that's how the industry problem will be solved. and it will be done better in the future. So that's what I'm actually looking forward to. There are multiple sections, like uh, uh, many of my friends are from the leadership class, they are PCAs. So I'm I'm also looking into what actually they contribute and maybe is there a way that I can do it better. So while doing it, uh, that will be my contribution back to the industry, what I learned through that very program.
1: You're listening to My Ag Life. I'm Taylor Jallstrom.
0: A new study from researchers at the University of Illinois at Chicago's Energy Resource Center evaluates the environmental and economic impacts of land use change. The land use change impact is specifically for land that moves in and out of cropland over 10-year time periods. The study aims to determine land use and soil organic carbon stocks on 1,000 land parcels over a 36-year period. As part of this study, they conducted a historical analysis going back to 1985 and found that longer time intervals need to be considered when determining the environmental and economic impact of land use changes. That, according to lead researcher Ken Copenhaver. Notably, this is not something that current regulations are taking into consideration. Using advanced satellite imagery and aerial photography, the researchers discovered their findings challenged previous studies that primarily focused on shorter time intervals, often less than 10 years, when examining land use changes. Sweet, the largest vertically integrated agricultural company in North America and the number one snacking tomato brand, has added another location to their portfolio of greenhouse facilities and has begun planning and growing produce in Bonita, Arizona, located in Graham County. The produce grower plans to hire about 250 agricultural workers over the next three years and invest over $5 million in the facility alone, which will have a multiplying effect on Arizona's economy. The investment marks the expansion of growing operations into the U.S., the brand which is known for fresh tomatoes cucumbers and peppers nature sweet celebrated the ribbon cutting recently usa secretary of agriculture tom vilsack says current ag economic forecasts demonstrate the need to create more diverse market opportunities for producers usa ag news reporter rod bain
3: with tightening margins for ag producers expected in 2024 The Agriculture Secretary says this is the reason behind USDA efforts to diversify market opportunities.
2: Producers can participate in this climate-smart commodity initiative so essentially their bottom line can be improved by getting paid for things that they're already doing that are sustainable and then maybe get a higher market opportunity. It's why we're creating more opportunities for those farmers to sell directly to consumers and more and more producers are thinking about direct marketing and why we're creating farm-to-market, farm-to-school, local food purchasing cooperatives...
3: The secretary speaking to reporters at the 100th annual USDA Agricultural Outlook Forum adds that additional USDA efforts in areas such as an improved safety net through farm loans and crop insurance is important to assist producers facing shrinking margins. From the Ag Outlook Forum in Arlington, Virginia, I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture.
0: Heading further into 2024, one of the top missions for Growth Energy is year round nationwide access to E15. Farm News reporter Chad Smith has the story.
3: Growth Energy CEO Emily Score spoke on E15 during her keynote address at the group's annual meeting.
4: This past year, we saw some big wins at the state level. Nebraska followed Iowa's lead with a statewide E15 standard, ensuring that every retailer in the state will offer the Earth Kind engine-smart fuel choice. Five states added E-15 tax incentives. E-15 is now legal in Phoenix and Montana. We're continuing to build momentum in the state capitals. But we all know that E-15 will truly take off when the federal government opens access permanently year-round.
3: Year-round E-15 will save money on fuel costs for drivers. She says that's a proven fact.
4: Last summer, E-15 saved drivers on average 15 cents a gallon. And in some instances... 40 to 60 cents per gallon. That makes a difference. Drivers can't afford to see those savings vanish on June 1st. Fortunately, after tireless work from Midwestern governors, EPA should issue final rulemaking this spring to allow year-round E15 in eight states. Eight states is progress but we cannot allow E15 to become a regional niche fuel.
3: Score says Growth Energy will be advocating for a legislative E15 solution on Capitol Hill.
4: We're continuing our work with lawmakers to achieve what we really need, a legislative solution that is permanent, nationwide, and not reversible in court. Because America cannot build a long-term energy future one state or one temporary waiver at a time.
3: The biofuel industry has picked up several wins in recent years, but she says more battles are ahead. Winning those battles means great opportunities are yet to come.
4: We've been fighting for the RFS and E15 for many years. And while government is never fast enough for business, we've come a long way. And we're going to keep on battling until we win. But these fights are now only part of an even bigger task ahead of us. We are beginning a whole new chapter for the bioeconomy. And this is our time to shine.
3: Again, that's Growth Energy CEO Emily Score. Chad Smith reporting.
0: Rural Mental Health National Nonprofit Rural Minds was selected as the 2023 Star Coalition Advocacy Organization of the Year and won the prestigious Star Award. This recognition is given to the advocacy organization that's demonstrated exceptional dedication to advocating for those living with mental illnesses, their efforts to fight the mental illness stigma, and who support efforts to expand mental health research. That, according to Erica Moore of Star Coalition. Rural Minds Executive Director Chuck Strand says they thank the coalition for the award and recognition of the collaborative work they are doing through Rural Minds to help people in rural communities overcome unique barriers to mental health. Rural Minds founder and chairman Jeff Winton adds that they look forward to the ongoing collaboration with other nonprofits, corporations, and individuals across the country as they confront the growing health issue facing rural America. For more information on the organization, log on to RuralMinds.org. A sharp decline in the number of dairy heifers available to replace older cows exiting the U.S. dairy herd could limit any meaningful growth in domestic milk production over the next few years. The number of dairy replacement heifers has fallen over 15% in the last six years to reach a 20-year low, according to data from the USDA's most recent cattle report. While the global demand outlook for U.S. dairy products remains murky due to export market uncertainties, any potential growth opportunities may be stymied by an inability to expand U.S milk production. According to a new report from Cobank's Knowledge Exchange, the rising cost of rearing dairy heifer calves has far outpaced increases in heifer values over the last several years. That imbalance has prompted dairy farmers to reduce their heifer replacement inventories, in large part by breeding more dairy heifers and cows to beef bowls. Contraction in the U.S. beef herd due to drought and other adverse conditions has led to record high prices for beef cattle and retail beef products. Raising dairy heifers has been a losing proposition for most farmers in recent years to the tune of six to nine hundred dollars an animal, according to Corey Geiger. Lead dairy economist at CoBank. He says to better manage on farm heifer inventories, dairy farmers have turned to using beef semen on a portion of their dairy herd to reduce the number of replacement heifers. That's enabled farmers to cut costs associated with raising heifers and generate additional income from beef sales. Less than a decade ago, dairy heifers sold for a tidy profit, but costs today mean that they sell a lot less. While heifer rearing cost estimates vary, they are all trending upward. University of Wisconsin Extension surveyed data from from 1999 to 2015 found the total cost to raise a dairy heifer from birth to entering the milk herd climbed from $1,360 to $2,510 a head. Meanwhile, heifer values have not kept pace with higher rearing costs from April of 2018 to January of 2022. The sale price of dairy heifers never exceeded $1,400 a head, according to USDA's Agricultural Prices Report. The discrepancy between rearing costs and sale value led to a prolonged and steady decline in replacement heifers in recent years. The steep drop in heifer supply went largely unnoticed until recently when dairy farmers were looking to buy now scarce replacements. As a result, dairy replacement prices have now jumped to an eight-year high with USDA data and auction market reports ranging from $1,890 to $28 a head. These higher replacement values will likely be in place for the foreseeable future given the tight supply. Our MyAgLife platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect.